Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're here in an exciting venue. We're now in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and it is another gathering of Native leaders from throughout the country. It is the National Indian Health Board's annual meeting being held here in Oklahoma City, September 2018. The convention venue is a bit different than sometimes when we're at a meeting venue because the booths are spread kind of throughout a common area and hallway. So we do have a lot of foot traffic, a lot of ambient noise that you're probably picking up on. But the most important thing that we have is an opportunity to speak with people who are really leading the way throughout Indian country. One of those individuals sitting right across from me right now is Dr. Joni Bakavoy. Joni, it's great to have you with us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, Joni, you have deep roots in Indian country and also international roots. First of all, tell us a little bit about your native roots. So my background, I'm actually a quarter Cherokee Indian. And um, my, I have relatives down in Stillwell, Oklahoma, that um, are part of the Cherokee tribe that are full Cherokee Indians and absolutely love my family and love our extended family. And one thing that I'm very passionate about is all the health things that we have kind of against us, like diabetes, mm. hypertension, and really helping even just my family address those type of things. So now, I know your brother, and your brother has been uh, featured on our show before. He's very active in making a difference throughout Indian country, uh, works uh, kind of with the extended team with American Indian Living Radio, American Indian Living Magazine. Now, tell me if I've got this correct. Okay. I think James has said that although you have the Cherokee background, your tribal enrollment is, is it Osage? Is that what I've heard? or is that? So on my mom's side, my mom was do adopted into an Osage tribe it is by an Osage family and so she has a head right and so from her we have the Osage um, but the actual blood is from Cherokee okay well I, I knew there was a, a yes. connection there with, with more than one tribe and then the ranch is is from is was an allotment from Osage okay so basically you've got those family roots uh, more recently in Oklahoma and you're kind of here back in your yeah. home, it, not the birthplace, right. but at least uh, kind of home for your, your tribe, at least right. recently. So let's talk, Joni, about your work, because you're doing some very exciting stuff. You've worked in circles that a lot of us just hear about, even health professionals. Tell us first a bit about your background. So my background is I, I, I did a lot of education, so I started out as a nurse, and um, did some work in, I was a pediatric intensive care nurse. And so that's how I started out. And then from there, did adult ICU, then uh, cardiac, and a, a variety of different um, roles within nursing. But during that time, I also got my master's in public health and then my doctorate in public health. Because my passion was always, I'd love to go back to where I grew up in Ethiopia and help improve the health and well-being of populations. That was always my passion. And so that's why the doctor in public health. So I appreciate this very interesting and very cross-cultural background because you have the native roots, 
You also, I mean, your last name is that Russian? Russian, uh-huh, soccer so boy. Okay, so you've, on your father's side, you've on got my father's side, yeah. Russian uh, mm-hmm. background, and then your father and mother at the time of your birth were working in Ethiopia, is Correct. that right? Correct, absolutely, yeah. So they had actually gone over to Ethiopia in 1955 to start a clinic way out in the far northern part of Ethiopia. It was very um, isolated, um, mm-hmm. but my... When my dad went there, he his whole initiative was to give health care to that region. And so he developed a clinic, and he had a lot of friends and colleagues from back where he had worked in Seattle, Washington, who donated things for the clinic. So, like, they gave him an x-ray machine, a lot of lab equipment, and they actually built the clinic in an old hangar. Someone donated a hangar for them Wow! Um, to build this great clinic. So an old airplane uh-huh. hangar. That yeah. They- Wow. Yeah. In fact, it's still there today. They're actually using it as a research unit now. So basically, you have this interesting kind of rural health background that's international, and you've looked at you know different cultures. You have this perspective. You pick up a, a doctorate of public health along with the master's, the nursing training. So you've got all this background, and I know one of your passions is bringing things back to Indian country, but you say... A lot of the diseases that we deal with in Indian country are the same diseases you deal with everywhere in the world, right? Absolutely, absolutely. You and I were talking before the show, and I'll bring our listeners up to speed. I have a number of DVD resources on our Compass Health website. And I was telling Joni, for those of of you tuning in today, that the educational video that I think we've sold the fewest copies of is one that we call Natural Strategies for Infectious Diseases. Uh, So we have diabetes videos, we have high blood pressure, we have behavior change videos, we have a native-themed video called Listening to the Buffalo that that deals with healthy lifestyles. So we've got a number of, of resources there. But I don't know what it is, but infectious diseases, they kill millions of people on our planet, and yet it does not seem to generate that much interest with the general public. Is that just my perception because of my resources? No, I think you're correct. You're spot on. And that's probably why people die is because it's not something that's really talked about. Now, you were put into an interesting position where you had to get on the front lines of dealing with infectious diseases. Tell us a little bit about that story. So over the past probably 10 years, I've been very actively involved in sepsis prevention and sepsis, um, reducing sepsis mortality. Now we got to stop right there because the word sepsis, S-E-P-S-I-S, it may be a familiar word to some of our health professionals who are listening, but other people say, well, that sounds familiar, but what is sepsis? Can you give us a definition first? So you know how when you have an infection, Mm -hmm. you... Maybe the flu, you feel nasty, you're tired, you're coughing, you don't really want to eat, you just want to go to sleep. So that's like early stage of infection. Sepsis is when all of a sudden your body just has this overwhelming, crazy response. So not only are you sleepy and tired, but maybe you get confused, you're not urinating, you're having a hard time breathing, maybe your heart rate's up because your body's trying to fight this infection, and it's just got had this overwhelming response. And that's where sepsis, the word sepsis comes in. So basically, it's going from, say, a simple urinary infection, right. and maybe you have a bladder infection, right. and burning when you urinate, urinary frequency, and you say, I'm going to fight this, uh, I don't need to go to the doctor, I don't need an antibiotic. 
and uh, then it gets into the bloodstream, and Correct. those bacteria now are multiplying Correct. in the blood Correct. and causing you know things affecting your whole body. Like you said, you can get Correct. delirious mm-hmm. and the high fevers. So right. we're on the same page, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Okay, so sepsis, bad stuff. If anyone's had a family member who got septic or went into septic shock, that mm-hmm. can happen, right? Mm-hmm. They ended up in the intensive care unit, That's right? right? Mm-hmm. So really bad stuff. It can start pretty innocuously. So uh, what were you doing with sepsis? So our goal was so that we could recognize it early and treat it really Mm. aggressively and also prevent it. So we found that most of the time the people that we're talking to are people who already have, have had sepsis and their families, as opposed to we have shared that information in the community, but it's really the people that have been affected by it realize how bad it is that want to prevent it from happening Mm. again. So if if we said uh, today's radio show, we're going to tell you how to prevent sepsis and sent that out to all our radio outlets, a lot of people would look at it and say, oh, well, that doesn't relate to me. I don't even know what this is. If we said prevent diabetes, heart disease, cancer. I mean, we got people's interest, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So sepsis is something that's serious. It can be deadly. Hospital systems are very concerned about it. And you've worked with several hospital systems, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What, what can we do as uh Lay people, as health professionals, you've got a, an opportunity here to talk across Indian country. The show's heard on some 170 stations. What do you want our listeners to know about sepsis? Prevent it. Prevent <laughs> I it, absolutely okay. believe prevent it. So the more you can do to make your body healthy so that you never, so that you can fight infections, um, the more likely you are not to go into, um, have a, a septic episode. Um, the other thing is there are times when you need an antibiotic. So sepsis, when it starts with an infection, starts with, um, you know, we have all these antibiotic-resistant infections. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get an antibiotic quickly, sometimes you can, um, your body just has this overwhelming response. If you have too many antibiotics, you have a problem because what happens is then you now have all these resistant uh, bugs mm. that are really hard to treat, and then you would end up in the hospital as well because not only is your antibiotic not working, but your body's not being able to fight that infection. And then the other thing is really it's that keeping healthy. So patients with diabetes are at higher risk to get infections and get mm-hmm. sepsis. So keeping your blood sugars um, normalized is very important. But also just the way you eat, you know, watching um, so that you're eating more plant-based uh, foods as opposed to processed and things with high sugar because there's sugar in almost everything that we have mm. anymore. And when you think of how um, things are, you know, when you they call it a culture when you grow something, it's almost like you make your body a culture when you put sugar in and some of the nasty foods, you're, um, you're more apt to have your germs grow quickly. And then you have that, again, that overwhelming response. So I think a big thing, again, is just is really trying to stay as healthy as you can Wash your hands, um, get vaccinations. Um, when you do have an infection, do your best not to spread it. So don't be coughing at somebody. If you have a cough, you know, cough away, um, cough into um, your sleeve. So just to pre- prevent infection. Boy, you're, you're covering so many important topics. we got to kind of break these down. <laughs> no, this is, this is great. So... We're talking to you today on American Indian Living from the National Indian Health Board meetings in Oklahoma City. 
And we're talking with experts like Dr. Joni Bakavoy. She's talking with us about things we can do to prevent infectious diseases and to prevent one of the most feared complications, which is sepsis, when the infection travels throughout the bloodstream, throughout the body, and actually can kill you. We actually have already identified many of the key components, but we want to step back and kind of break those down. One of them that I find fascinating, and it will rely on your training. I know you trained at Loma Linda University, the School of Public Health there. I actually have a master's in public health from that very same university in Southern California. And one of the things that struck me when I was there many years ago is they were doing research on sugar and the immune system. Mm -hmm. And you may remember some of this research. It was fascinating because they looked at what happened to people when they ate sugar and looked at how it affected their white blood cells. Were you in? Yes, yes. So you remember this I do. I do remember that, yeah. And then they looked at people with diabetes Mm -hmm. who didn't have their blood sugar controlled, and it was the very kind of same response. So I don't know that I ever really understood the mechanism, you know, exactly how the dots all got connected, but... The research was so clear. The higher your blood sugar was, the more sugar you ate, the more even, quote, good beverages. They looked at, you know, normal juices. Mm -hmm. Those things that raise your blood sugar, they impair or they weaken your white blood cells and their ability to kill germs, don't they? Absolutely. So this is really nasty stuff, and yet we give it to our kids as a treat. Yeah. Does that make any sense? (laughs) No. I don't know if you've heard this before. Maybe your dad mm-hmm. saw it. And I don't know what, what they did in Ethiopia at the end of October. But here, you know, in the United States, many people uh, celebrate what they call Halloween. And I've heard more than one doctor say that after Halloween, they see an uptick in the number of infectious disease cases coming into their Makes office. Sense. You know, with all the kids eating the sweets and everything. Mm-hmm. So sweets are bad for our immune system. Yeah. Talk with us a little bit more about the antibiotic story because I heard you saying two things. There's an appropriate time for antibiotics, but there's a time when antibiotics may be counterproductive. Can you help us understand that a little bit more? Well, so we always think of antibiotics as like a miracle. So um, antibiotics um, can help us get well quickly. But if you give antibiotics for any little infection, your body never has the chance to fight the infection itself. Mm. And also, the more you give antibiotics, you have um, you can build up a resistance. And so then it makes the antibiotics much less effective. We've got to talk more about this. We do have to step away, though, just for a couple of minutes. You're listening to American Indian Living. Again, we're here at the National Indian Health Board meetings in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Dr. Joni Bakavoy is staying by. You do, too, because there's a lot more great information that can help you, your family, your tribe. Infectious disease prevention. Don't miss it. We'll be right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. 
For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with Dr. Joni Bakavoy. We're at the National Indian Health Board meetings in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. If you were here, it is September of 2018. And we are meeting with people who are making a difference in Indian country. Dr. Bakavoy is working with a screening booth here. In fact, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were taking blood sugars earlier today, right? I was. So we were speaking about the importance of good blood sugar control for avoiding infectious diseases. And you're not only telling people on the show about it, you're actually helping people find out whether their blood sugar was high or not. Yeah. And what do you tell them if they have a high blood sugar? Well, first of all, if they haven't already been told and they aren't um, under some kind of care, I ask them to see their primary care person. But then I also tell them, tell them about some just simple strategies mm. um, about um, taking care. So eating things higher in, with roughage, so okay. eating whole fruits and vegetables. Um, oatmeal is a good one. Okay. Uh-huh. So, and then also um, just be careful of eating things with sugar um, because, and of course with fat as well because both of those kind of go together and the particularly thing with sugar is you've got sugar in in um, drinks Mm -hmm. even the healthy drinks as you mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier Um, pretty much all processed foods have sugar in them and so you try to think that you stay away from eating more plant-based type foods no i mean this is a great message and it brings us back to that point we made in our last segment and that is high sugar consumption or High blood sugars in someone who has diabetes, both of those things impair our immune system, weaken it, right? Absolutely. Well, we started to talk a little bit about antibiotics, and I know it's a touchy subject because over the years, practicing as a physician and also as a health lecturer, 
it seems like there's two extremes when it comes to antibiotics. Right. I sometimes have the people, they don't want to take pills, even if it's an antibiotic. They want to just stay away yeah. from it. Yeah. And then I've got the other group of people. I mean, they come into my office. The first time they have a runny nose in the fall, they feel like they need an antibiotic. Right. So talk to both of those uh, groups, especially as it relates to sepsis. Okay. So so first of all, you don't want to be taking antibiotics for just anything. Okay. Um, you know, there, there are to- there's a time and a place for antibiotics because you do have an immune system. Mm-hmm. And it's important for your immune system to kick in and um, help um, with some of your infections. Um, but the other thing is if you have antibiotics, make sure you finish the whole series. Mm. Cause I know a lot of times people will start feeling better. They've been given an antibiotic by the physician. They start feeling better. They've only taken it for three days and then they stop because they're like, Oh, I feel fine. The antibiotic made me nauseated. And so I don't, you know, don't want to take anymore. Mm. Um, I've, we've had patients come in, um, and I can think of a story where it was actually a young girl. And her mom told her she didn't have to take the antibiotics anymore because she was feeling nauseated and she felt better. But then about a week later, she got this massive, um, it was actually a urinary tract infection uh-huh. and she had a massive response to it. And so she ended up in septic shock at the hospital. Oh my. So did she survive? It was that. She did. They got the antibiotic, but she had a lot of residual effects from that. Wow. So paint us the picture. So some people have heard of septic shock. They may have seen people with it. But you told us the story of this young girl. How old was she? She was 16. Okay. So 16-year-old so really young lady mm-hmm. taking some antibiotics, starts them for mm-hmm. her urinary infection, right. but doesn't follow what the doctor said, having some side effects. Mom says, don't worry about it. And then she ends up, I mean, presumably the infection went to the kidneys and then into the bloodstream. And that's often how these urinary things work. And so she ends up, I'm assuming, feverish. Her blood pressure drops. That's what happens in shock. Correct. She ends up in the intensive care unit. Right. So give us a picture for the kind of complications that a person, whether it's this exact individual or someone else, what kind of complications might they end up with long term even if they survive? Well, what's interesting is it actually affects the mind. And so one of the symptoms of septic shock is when people get confused Mm -hmm. or that you're going down the spiral. And they always call it a spiral. Mm -hmm. So you start with maybe one organ dysfunction. So it means one organ fails and it could be your kidneys. So your kidneys are trying to work real hard. They can't. And so your kidney values go up. Um, like you mentioned about low blood pressure, Mm -hmm. your heart is not working as it should. And so you end up with this low blood pressure. So they have to give you fluids and then give you other things to support your heart. There can be other dysfunctions. And then what happens, the longer you're in the hospital and the longer it takes you to kind of correct that and they give you the antibiotic and your body starts um, being able to respond and and you start healing, you still have all these residual effects from Mm. everything that's been happening. And you can have, like, they call it foggy brain for a while. Okay. Um, People feel like they're not as sharp as they used to be, and Uh it takes a while for that to kind of come back. Um, it affects your whole body, so it can affect your muscles. Sometimes when people go into septic shock, they actually end up with really poor circulation, mm. and they call it um, DIC, where you have actually coagulation yeah. or kind of like um, your blood clots in your fingers and toes, and sometimes they actually have to amputate those. Wow. wow. Um, so you can have a lot of residual effects. 
And long term, younger you are, usually not as much, you know, you eventually recover. Mm -hmm. But the older you are, usually it's really tough to recover. And so you don't ever want to get to that stage. You always want to prevent it early. So these are great messages. And sometimes it's just as simple as getting to the doctor quickly, getting on that antibiotic, taking it until you finish the prescribed course. Correct. Now, let's... uh, talk to the person who says, hey, I don't need this message. In fact, I always take antibiotics. In fact, I've got in my medicine cabinet three or four prescriptions just ready for if I have the slightest sign of a cough or a urinary infection, I'm taking those uh, old antibiotics that I've got. I don't know where they got them from when, <laughs> when, they, when they didn't take them, but they've got them. Because I know this because people will come in, they said, well, I did have some old antibiotics that I started taking. Or my aunt had some antibiotics that she gave me. Yes. And what's the problem with that? Just uh, taking antibiotics at uh, the first sign of a problem. You don't want to have septic shock. This sounds really bad. <laughs> well, there's a couple things. Um, first of all, you don't know if that antibiotic is for whatever you ah, have. okay. And then the second thing is you're helping create these superbugs. So if you're taking things that aren't appropriate, um, sometimes you, these superbugs develop. And then it's really hard to treat those anim- those bugs. No, this is such a great message. And, you know, we, we hear the concerns with uh, with livestock raising as well. You mean the same idea. And the idea is, uh, just for those of you who have not really heard that much about it, who are tuning in today, if I give you, uh, let's say, penicillin every day or, you know, every week I'm saying, oh, it looks like you're coming down with a sore throat or a skin infection. I give you whatever X antibiotic, whether it's penicillin or tetracycline, a cephalosporin, there's all kinds of different classes of antibiotics. What happens is that antibiotic kills all the germs in your body or severely weakens the germs that are susceptible to that antibiotic. Mm -hmm. As a result, we start selecting out a population of germs that the penicillin or whatever antibiotic we're giving you frequently will not kill. So when you do come down with an infection, it's going to be as Dr. Bakavoy said, more likely to be one of these superbugs or these resistant germs. The more antibiotics you've been taking over the years, the more likely you are to have a population of germs in your body. And we say a population of germs, and we've all got germs living in us, mm-hmm. in our intestines, right? right? right. And, right. and uh, in other places. And so when you get those resistant germs and then they get a foothold, the germs from the colon, uh, get into the urinary tract. Uh, they're relatively close proximity down there. They get in there, cause that urinary infection. I do the urine culture on my patient, mm-hmm. and they're not growing some common, you know, urinary, we call pathogen, urinary yeah. disease causing germ like E. coli. They're growing something like Pseudomonas, this, mm-hmm. you know, really bad germ that we usually only see in the hospital. Right. Because they've got these resistant germs growing in them. So, I mean, this is a huge, huge point too. So there's things we can do in our relationship with our healthcare providers. There's things that we shouldn't do on our own, like mm-hmm. treating ourselves when right. we're not doctors. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Growing up in a medical home, your dad was a physician, correct, right? Correct. Correct. I don't know. Did he ever tell you what, I know he was a bit before my time mm-hmm. as far as his medical training, mm-hmm. but did you ever hear anything like they told me, Joni? They said when I was in medical school, they said, 
never treat yourself because when a doctor treats himself, <laughs> yeah. he has a fool for a doctor and a fool for a patient. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> it does sound very familiar. And, and so I, I tell lay people, listen, if they tell doctors it's foolish to treat yourself, right. I mean, you don't even have the training and you want to treat yourself. This is not a good idea, right? Right, right. Let's come back to something else you talked about. You mentioned lifestyle. And you really got my interest when you mentioned that because early in the show I, I said I've got this uh, DVD out called Natural Strategies for Infectious Diseases. Mm-hmm. You know the story behind this because I told yeah. you a little bit about it. Yeah. But I got very interested in infectious diseases during the Ebola scare around, what, 2015, somewhere in, in that uh, ballpark, 2014, 2015. And I got really disturbed. And I'll just tell you what disturbed me. You may have the same perspective having lived in Africa. What we knew in the medical community is that Ebola, although it could be devastating, likely millions of people in Africa have been exposed to Ebola and have never come down with the disease. So with many of these diseases, although they can cause fearsome complications, there are things that a person apparently is doing or their lifestyle or other factors that make them resistant to even these bad germs. Mm -hmm. We are going to be talking about some of those things that you can do to make a difference as far as your own immune system. Dr. Bakavoy is going to be walking us through some practical things. Don't miss it. It's coming up in our next segment. We'll be right back. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more.
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma is our venue. It's the National Indian Health Board's meeting. And uh, we're with people from all over the country who are interested in making a difference in Indian country. Across from me is Dr. Joni Bakavoy. Joni, it's been great to have you with us from the beginning of the hour. Thank you. Joni, we were speaking as we transitioned some about my passion for this subject that grew out of the Ebola crisis and realizing that the medical research showed that even when we were talking about a killer disease like Ebola, many people had been exposed for years in Africa, never got sick. We knew it because of blood tests. They checked people in various villages. They said, you've been exposed to Ebola. You've had Ebola. I said, we never had Ebola. But their body had shown they had been exposed and had fought it off, never got sick. Other people, caretakers for those who have been um, caregivers for individuals who had Ebola, they've been exposed to those body fluids, never got sick again. Check them, some of them had indeed been exposed but never got the disease. Mm -hmm. So we've got to talk about things we can do to prevent infectious diseases from ever occurring, stay out of that situation. You've looked at this a lot because of your work with sepsis, but before we talk about your answer, you oriented me during our break. You said, this is a momentous month, September of 2018. Something just happened. Tell us about that. So there's actually a World Sepsis Day, which is September 13th every year. Hmm. And the goal was to raise awareness of sepsis worldwide so that prevent it, number one. Mm -hmm. And then if they do have it, make sure they get treatment quickly. Wow. And also to educate the healthcare providers because there's a lot of opportunities there as well. So it's not just us in America who get complacent about sepsis. It's kind of a worldwide problem, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. No one gets concerned until they have the problem. That's right. So let's talk about these preventive strategies. When I wrote the book, Evading Ebola, we looked at these, and by the way, the strategies apply to any infectious disease. And we talk about, we look at research on influenza in the book. We talk about all kinds of diseases because really we're surrounded by pathogens, aren't we? Things that could kill us. It's scary. Absolutely. Microbiology is scary. Um, you, you never live the same after you take that microbiology class in medical school or <laughs> in your doctorate of public health work. Yep. You probably studied infectious diseases. Absolutely. So let's divide it into two areas. One, uh, kind of the hygiene area. You started to talk about this earlier in the show, but what can we do to decrease our risk of ever being exposed? And that's hygiene both to protect ourselves and to protect others. You've touched on both, but let's give some more detail to that. And then, Joni, we'll speak about what can we do if we are exposed? What kind of things help our immune system be stronger? Fair enough? Yes. So what about this whole area of prevention and hygiene? Where do you like to take people if you're working with a lay audience? So I always make it really personal. Um, you know, there are germs everywhere, and mm-hmm. you're going to ingest germs no matter what you do. But you want to keep that to as small amount as possible. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be sharing germs as well. So think of like if you're at a potluck, you know, a lot of times people, they'll 
take the serving and then they'll put it on the plate. Well, they actually touch the plate. If people are breathing mm. on that or coughing, you can actually get germs from that person and then now transmit it to the next person. Wow. So you're, you're talking about a lot. So it can both be germs that are in the, in the droplets if someone coughs right. or if they sneeze right, right on the food. Right. But it's also can be, we sometimes call it oral to oral transmission. If there's germs in the mouth, you're eating off your plate. Yeah. And then you take the utensil that you're serving with. You know, you've got the big pot of beans there on the table, Mm -hmm. or it can be at home, Mm -hmm. and you touch that serving utensil to your plate. So many people are totally oblivious to this. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of that, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we we know about this. And it's a big church thing, right? (laughs) Okay, so it was a church, tribal (laughs) gathering, whatever, whatever, right? Right. So people do this, and a lot of people say, well, Dr. DeRose, what diseases are transmitted oral to oral? Um, one of them that I know is Helicobacter. So we call it Helicobacter pylori. And this germ that causes ulcers, it can be transmitted oral to oral. So someone can actually transmit this germ by just like we described. Yeah. So we need to uh, maybe follow that public health code. I know I've worked in the restaurant industry before becoming a physician, so I know a little bit about this. They would not let people come to the buffet with a dirty plate. They had to get a clean plate for this very reason. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's common public mm-hmm. health code in many mm-hmm. places. Okay, so that's one thing. How you serve the food, we can improve there. What other things can we do to decrease our own risk of being exposed to infectious agents? Well, definitely clean these. Hand washing. Hand washing is huge. Um, I know you see these little antiseptic um, washes that you can use uh-huh. regularly. Those are good. Okay. Um, but soap and water is always the best. Mm-hmm. And do it after every time you have any kind of um, interaction with anybody, um, like with your, if you're, especially if you're sick. <laughs> okay. Um, make sure you keep your hands clean, and also you want to make sure that um, you clean the surface, like of what you're cooking, hmm. um, because you can also, especially if you have meat type products, mm-hmm. um, those can get infected um, from things that are just on your countertop. Okay. Yeah, this is. Uh... This is a huge issue. I remember uh, a patient years ago. An interesting story because this gentleman was a vegetarian. I mentioned this group of germs, uh, Campylobacter. This is uh, responsible for, experts estimate, some 2 million cases of food poisoning a year in America, if I'm remembering the figure right. Mm -hmm. Well, Campylobacter usually causes what lay people call stomach flu. Maybe they get upset stomach. Maybe they spend a lot of time in the bathroom. We don't need to go into too much detail about all that, but it may run its course in a day or so. But rarely a person can get something called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which yeah. is an ascending motor paralysis. This fellow actually got that. Oh my. Now, the main places we get Campylobacter from are animal products. He's a vegetarian. But he had gone out to eat in a restaurant, and they traced it. They were actually preparing the animal foods, the, the chicken, whatever, on the same cutting board where they were making the salads. Oh and so they were getting these animal uh, blood and secretions. Yeah. Of course, they cooked the chicken mm-hmm. and, you know, killed the germs like mm-hmm. we've been told to do, but they didn't cook the salad. Mm-hmm. And he ended up getting exposed and ended up developing this complication and having long-term problems as a result of the exposure so it doesn't just happen in restaurants it can happen in our own kitchens can't it absolutely so hand washing boy that 
tell you another interesting story. Uh, this was an administrator in one of the health institutions I worked with. He, he said to me, you know, Dr. DeRose, I started doing this stuff. You know, the health professionals, we all say, you know, wash your hands, you know, get that hand sanitizer on after every patient. Mm-hmm. And some of us do that very religiously. I do. But this guy's an administrator. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's not seeing the sick <laughs> patients all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the message didn't really resonate with him for many years. But when it did, he came to me and he said, you know, I don't get sick hardly at all. He said, now that I started washing my hands so <laughs> That's much. Because awesome. it's a common way yeah. that we get common infections. I'll shake someone's hand. And everyone I meet, I don't say, hey, are you sick? Yeah. Shake their hand. Yeah. And then if I rub my eyes or my nose, yeah. I can just inoculate myself with those germs and get sick, can That's I? That's right. Right. Now, Joni, you mentioned too... Not only do we have a role to protect ourselves, but a role to protect other people. We've, we've kind of touched on this coughing, sneezing business a bit, but um, how important is that uh, for someone to take precautions if they're sick? Oh, I think it's real important because you don't know if somebody's immuno, immunocompromised. So that means mm. that their white blood cells are not fighting like they should or their body is just not strong. And you can essentially give them the infection that ends up killing them, and you wow. don't want to do that. And so you really want to make sure that you're protecting other people in, in addition to yourself. And what about your family? No, I mean, this is so important. And I know a lot of people... You know, you, you mentioned vaccines mm-hmm. briefly, and I know when we speak about vaccines, we get often the same response that we do with antibiotics. I'm going to get that group of people yeah. that are saying, yes, you know, everyone get your vaccines, you need to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the other group in our in our culture, in our society that say, you know, vaccines are evil, don't ever get them. I never got one. I'm perfectly fine. Uh, in the healthcare community, when we speak about sepsis and infection control, right. You've alluded to something. We're starting to get into something that we've both alluded to. We never have used the term. We call it inapparent infection. Is this something that you've used much in your teaching, or is it something that I've just kind of become more enamored with in my teaching? You know, you'll have to describe it a little bit more. Okay. Because I notice it's not talked a lot about in hospital circles, but it's really the essence for a lot of what we do. So here's the deal. Let's talk about influenza. Okay. Healthcare providers have come to me and they've said, I don't want to get the flu vaccine, but if I don't get it in my clinic, in my hospital, they're going to make me wear a mask for three months or six months Mm -hmm. if I don't get the shot. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that helps my bedside manner with my patients. So I'm, you know, very upset, but I'm getting this shot. Well, here's what's behind it. It's this idea of inapparent infections. The idea is that if my immune system's healthy, Like we've been talking, we could get exposed to a germ, in this case, influenza. I get exposed to influenza, but I never get clinically sick. Mm -hmm. But I actually have the infection. Yeah. So I have this inapparent infection. I see what you're saying. And so when I come, Joni, let's say you come in as my patient Mm -hmm. and we're doing a complete exam. You say I've had some vision changes. I'm not an ophthalmologist. I'm an internal medicine specialist. But we know how to look at the back of the eye Mm -hmm. with the otoscope. Mm -hmm. The otoscope, of course, looks at the ears. It's the same device. (laughs) I change the head and it becomes the ophthalmoscope. (laughs) And I can look. I usually have that otoscope (laughs) head on because that's what I'm usually doing, looking in ears and not looking in eyes. But Mm -hmm. I put that ophthalmoscope head on the what's usually an otoscope (laughs) sitting up there. And then I look in your eyes. And when I look in your eyes, I've got to come so close to you. And I'm breathing on you. 
if you're immunocompromised, if you don't have a strong immune system, and I have an inapparent case of the flu mm-hmm. because I didn't get vaccinated, mm-hmm. my body fought it off, yeah. but now I expose my patient to it. So I think a lot of people don't have this on the radar screen, even health professionals. And when I've given infectious disease talks to health care providers, I remind them of this reality because it's one of the reasons why in the healthcare arena, we get so concerned, not about you, a healthy, relatively young person mm-hmm. getting sick as a healthcare provider, right. but protecting your patients, many of whom have chronic obstructive lung disease, right. heart disease, diabetes, and they're going to be really susceptible. Absolutely. So you've been giving these messages in hospitals throughout whole regions. Yeah. How receptive are healthcare providers to these messages? Well, so to me, action speaks louder than words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think um, that everybody is much more aware of mm-hmm. what sepsis is and how important it is. But there's, I think, a lot of controversy on exactly when to start treating patients for mm. what they call sepsis. Okay. And so there can be kind of a delay and usually what we find is the providers that do the best are the ones that suspect that anybody could have this mm-hmm. super response to an infection. Wow. Because infection is the number one reason people go to hospitals. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. So we're talking with Dr. Joni Bakavoy. There are things that doctors can do to prevent the ravages of infection. There are things that you can do. And we're learning about both. In our final segment, we're going to talk about some of the things you can do to strengthen your immune system. What kind of choices can you be making that make you actually more resilient, less likely to get sick if you are exposed? You don't want to miss that segment. It's our final one in today's edition of American Indian Living, and it will be coming right after this. Don't go away. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. 
I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. We are still here in Oklahoma City at the National Indian Health Board meetings, and across from me is still Dr. Joni Bakavoy. Joni has been sharing with us from her deep experience working with hospitals to control overwhelming infections, sepsis control. And Joni, it's a huge subject. You've shared a little bit about it. It can uh, have devastating consequences. But we can stop infection, if you will, before it starts, can't we? Absolutely. You've talked with us a little bit about hygiene, the importance of covering our mouth if we cough, about washing our hands thoroughly before we eat, about how we handle utensils at, uh, at common food gatherings. But um, what about just strengthening our own immune system? Because we will be in those restaurants. We will be in places. Some, we'll be on an airplane, and people are not covering their mouth. What can we do to make our immune system better? Well, it's really everything that you can do to make yourself healthier, period. Mm. And I think it starts with things like trying to stay away from sweets and mm-hmm. sugary things. Uh, we know it's in a lot of foods and really becoming more plant-based in what we do, eat. Having more roughage, I think, is really important. Um, vitamin D, I think, is mm. really important. And, of course, where do you get vitamin D? Well, the main way we're designed to get it is from the sunshine, right? Right, right. But we find so many people uh, today, they're either not getting outdoors or they have a skin type that protects them from cancer. The darker pigmented we are, the less risk we have of skin cancer, but the harder it is for us to make vitamin D. Mm. So when we check vitamin D levels in our patients, they're often quite low, many people. So do you have any common strategies that you recommend for people to, to get more vitamin D? Um, well, you can't take a supplement. Okay, excellent. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, but I agree, getting out in the sun, I think, mm-hmm. is a really important thing. And there are also there are foods that have high body, vitamin D content. Excellent point. Yeah. I know indigenous peoples in uh, places in the world where they have access to seafood, mm-hmm. um, fish oil, for right. example, cod liver oil. Yeah. Some We lived in uh, New England for some time, and some of the old Mainers up there they said, well, you know, when the winter came, our parents made us take cod liver oil. <laughs> and they usually never smile when they talk about it, okay? Right. They kind of grimace a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the crazy thing is before there were vitamin D supplements, mm-hmm. people made this connection. Mm-hmm. When you actually sat down and uh, ate vitamin D in the form of cod liver oil, they didn't know it was vitamin D. <laughs> yeah. The kids were healthier in the winter. Yeah. We now know there's this connection between a healthy immune system and vitamin D. So very, very important point. Mm-hmm. So we've got vitamin D. Vitamin C. <laughs> vitamin C. Yeah. I mean, so basically, like you said, eating more of those plant foods, 
rich in those nutrients, those phytochemicals, right. many of them that, that help fight disease as well. Let me ask you this question, because when we wrote the book Evading Ebola, and then later when I did the video series on natural strategies for infectious disease, we um, got really interested in the topic of exercise. Ah. And this is a topic that, of course, is close to uh, Indian country. Many tribes historically had very strong values that they trained the, the children about the importance of activity. Or it was just such a part of their culture, they didn't have to do any training because everyone was just active. Right. Well, when First Nation peoples were moved to reservations and when other changes came in, a lot of that changed. Here's my question, Joni. From your vantage point, as you work especially with hospitals, healthcare providers, is it still an important part of the equation to talk about physical activity oh, when it comes to the immune system? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because actually the more physically fit you are, the more apt you are to fight off any disease. So it's not just infections, but any disease, even viruses. This is such a great message. We were fascinated. There's a great study that came out of um, North Carolina where they actually looked at people during the cold and flu season and they had them log their exercise. Mm -hmm. And there was this compelling connection. Those people that exercised more actually had less cold and flu symptoms. Now, we don't say they had less colds and flus because we already talked about this inapparent illness. If you did blood tests, they might, they might have been, mm -hmm. quote, infected just as much. But hey, if you never get sick or you don't feel sick, I mean, who cares <laughs> if you, quote, got the flu on a right. biochemical level or right. immunological level, right? So this is really huge. Now, there's a flip side to this, and that is too much exercise. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of times when I talk about this, people say, Dr. DeRose, you don't have to worry. I don't have that problem. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think back, and I'm, I'm wanting you to do the same, Joni, because mm -hmm. you've shared some stories about your experience. Can you think of it, and I know we're just talking here informally. This is not a scripted interview. I think most people know sure. my show is not scripted. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't know I was going to be asking this question. Yeah. And the question is, can you think of anyone that you've met who is dealing with these overwhelming infections who may be part of their story related to maybe lifestyle factors that they weren't paying attention to? And while you're thinking about that, I'm going to tell you a story that comes to my mind. It was a gentleman that came in with um, sepsis from, we sometimes call it pneumococcus. Mm -hmm. It's the germ that causes uh, pneumonia, the common cause of pneumonia, pneumococcal pneumonia. Um, it's also in the strep family, strep pneumoniae. This fellow had a risk factor for infections, and it was alcoholism. Mm -hmm. He was a heavy drinker. Mm -hmm. It seemed that his pneumonia rapidly went to sepsis, mm -hmm. and it seemed like there was nothing we could do as health professionals. Um, unfortunately, he died. And the infectious disease specialist basically said in so many words there was nothing we could do at that point yeah. because he had so run down his immune system from the alcohol mm -hmm. that when he got this infection, it went to the bloodstream. Even the antibiotics and everything that we were giving him, it just couldn't turn the balance. Is that a common connection you've seen with alcohol or drugs? Are there other things that you've seen that we need to oh, talk absolutely. about? Oh, absolutely. Anything that you used, anything that, that happens to you that wears your system down, any kind of lifestyle thing that you're doing 
that isn't putting your body in a good shape can absolutely make you at higher risk for sepsis. And one of the things is obesity. Really? Um, and that kind of runs in my family, mm-hmm. um, um, especially on, you know, good old Russian babushka. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And I had an aunt that actually was very overweight uh-huh. and also not getting enough rest. I think that's actually another contributing factor. Excellent point. And um, she ended up in the hospital with very severe sepsis, went into septic shock. And um, she was actually, she survived, but they said that her lifestyle definitely put her at higher risk. Um, and made it much harder for her to heal afterwards. Wow. These are such sobering messages, and yet they're encouraging messages. We're not telling people sepsis is this terrible thing, just hide from it, but we're saying there are practical things you can do. So there are healthy lifestyle habits that you can follow. If you do feel you're getting sick, get promptly evaluated. Don't wait until it moves from a common skin infection to sepsis. Interesting story. You know, I'm thinking about this now because I live in Northern California and I'm here in Oklahoma City. So, of course, yesterday, well, not of course, but I did fly. I guess I could have driven, (laughs) but I flew. Some years ago, I was standing in line and in front of me, you know, waiting to check in at the uh, airport counter. And uh, there was a guy in front of me who had a skin lesion and there was a red streak going up from the lesion. (laughs) And he and his wife were talking uh, about it and they were... They were saying, the wife was saying, you need to go in and see the doctor about that. And he was saying, I really don't think so. And said, but there's a red streak on your arm. <laughs> and so finally, I just felt constrained. I had to say something. I said, uh, she's right. And the guy kind of looked at me and he said, are you a doctor? And I said, yes. He said, I thought you kind of looked like a doctor. But uh, that can be a sign. It's yep. moving into the lymph system from Absolutely. the skin. And it, then from there into the blood, and you can end up with sepsis because you didn't take care of that uh, little cut on your hand. Absolutely. In fact, um, actually, in New York, they have these laws where they require all hospitals to have sepsis protocols Hmm. because of a young boy, I think he was um, around 12 or 13, that passed away, and all he had was a scratch on his leg. That's how it started. Wow. Yeah. So we're not trying to get you paranoid. No. Not, right, not. right. But at the same time, sepsis is a real threat. There's real things you can de- do. Be proactive. Follow a healthy lifestyle. Controlling your diabetes is not just important for avoiding amputations and heart attacks and blindness and kidney failure, but it's important for sepsis too. Absolutely. Joni, some people are really hearing about this topic, at least some of the terminology, some of the things they can do for the first time. Any other resources, any place you like to point people? Well, I think one of the best ones is um, www.sepsisalliance.com um, or maybe .org. I'm not sure. Um, but it's it's actually a sepsis alliance that was created specifically for lay people to learn more about sepsis. And it was created by a dad whose daughter died. Wow. Um, she actually had a hemorrhoidectomy and had some symptoms afterwards, and it was kind of missed. And she ended up dying within days after oh um, complications. Wow. So Sepsis Alliance, and you'll check it out with uh, with your favorite uh, search engine. Find out whether it's .com or .org. But we do have to run. We've enjoyed uh, Dr. Bakavoy so much, Joni. Thanks for sharing your expertise. And thank you for joining us on today's edition of American Indian Living. For all of us, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.